Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Worship Leader Training Podcast. This is Alex Infiegin, your host. In today's episode, I speak with Cade Young about holding high standards in small churches. Did you know the average church in America is only 70 people? And that means there are many churches that are even smaller than that. That poses a great challenge of trying to create high-quality worship ministries with very limited people and very limited resources. Yet somehow, Cade has managed to create a worship ministry in his small church that rivals the excellence of many megachurches out there. And the principles we discuss in this episode actually apply to any size church that's seeking to be excellent in their worship ministry. So whether you lead at a large church or a small church, I know that you will be helped by Cade's wisdom today. Before we get into the interview, our recommended product of the month is Planning Center. Planning Center is the most robust, easy-to-use online software to plan your worship services and schedule your teams. It honestly saves me hours each week. The tools and the things that it can do are incredible. One of the things I want to highlight is that you can actually link your Planning Center account to your Song Select account, and from then on, it will automatically import chord charts anytime you add a new song, Or if you add new keys, it will automatically download those keys for those songs. So be sure to check out Planning Center at planning.center. It's free for 30 days to try, and then plans start at just $14 a month. And you can find all of this in the show notes or at planning.center. Okay, let's jump into our conversation with Cade Young about holding high standards in small churches. Hey, everybody. I am here with Cade Young, who is a worship leader, worship pastor, and also the founder of Collaborate Worship, which is an online resource for worship leaders, especially worship leaders of small churches, to help them be excellent in all that they do. Hey, Cade, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. Cade, um, you know, I I know a little bit about your story that you are leading in a smaller-ish church, um, and I I have a hunch that we have a lot of listeners who lead at or volunteer at smaller churches because the average church size in America is 70 people, um, which means that there are some that are actually smaller than that. And so I have a hunch that they're they're wanting to listen to this podcast and do things excellently because otherwise I don't think they would actually be listening because they wouldn't care. And you have proven that uh, in a smaller church, you can do things excellently. In fact, I want to encourage you because I've I've seen some of your stuff online and the quality with which you are doing things, it rivals that of large mega churches. It's amazing. And so um, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you on today to talk to our listeners about how to have high standards in a small church. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Awesome. Okay, so Cade, first of all, let's just talk to our listeners in smaller churches. Tell them why they should care and why they should strive to have high standards and high excellence in their small church. You know, the truth is that like whether you lead a church of 100 people or a church of 10,000 people, there's no less of a call on your life. And I fell into the belief that there was at, at one point. And I was encouraged whenever I... um I worked for three years at a larger church, you know, of about 800 people as their business manager for three years. I didn't think I had anything to offer, you know, to the worship leader that was there. So I I would never say anything. And then he came in, started asking me questions. And I found out that the things that I knew actually helped him and his larger church. So, I mean, that's, that's when it hit me. And that's when I realized I was like, there's, there's my calls no less than his or somebody who's leading worship at, at a church of 10,000. 
but my calling is just as great. Um, I'm, I'm making an impact in my community, and we should all see it that way. We should all be pressing into the gifts that that God has put in us, you know, regardless of the size of our church. Yeah, God deserves our best, and our church deserves our best, right? For sure. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, in terms of these smaller churches, a lot of them, I think, do have more of an uphill battle and more challenges than, say, a church that has all the resources and can hire anyone they want and buy any gear that they want. So there are some some barriers to smaller churches achieving excellence. What would you say are some of those barriers? You know, we may see it as a barrier that we can't hire people or we don't have as big of a pool of people to choose from, but you, you really got to see that as an opportunity that maybe you can look into your church and see somebody who has very little skill, um, but that you can bring onto the team and help develop that skill and turn them into something that, you know, rivals what the bigger churches have on their team. So that's that's how I've always viewed it. I'm, I'm all about helping people develop who they are, the gifts God's put on the inside of them. You know, actually, there's a lot of Sundays that I'm not even on stage leading worship because I'm all about helping my team become the best that they can be. And so, I mean, it's it's really an opportunity. It's not it's not really a setback as a smaller church. That's awesome. Yeah, you actually have more uh, intimacy and more more opportunity to work closely with a smaller group of people. So, just so our listeners are aware, what size church are you at? What was it when you started, and where is it now? When we started about nine years ago, we had fifteen total people, and I was able to pool from my friends and family to create a full band of about six to eight people. So when we took the stage, you know, there were less than 10 people out in the congregation. So humble beginnings. And today we're about 100 people on a Sunday, which is still a small church, but doesn't bother me at all. I I love being a part of it. Yeah. You you and I talked before this and you said that's by intentionality. Your pastor desires to keep a smaller church because of the discipleship. And you actually are moving towards a really cool model, but we won't get into that right now. So it's it's not bad to be at a small church. And I think that's what we want to make very clear. It's it's not a bad thing. And I think a lot of people, they desire to be at a larger church and they're like, oh, it would be so cool to work for a bigger church. But bigger churches usually just mean bigger headaches anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true that. And you got to please more people. So, you know, another benefit of being a smaller church is you can take your time, you know, to build your skills and nobody's going to say much about it. You have more grace there. Yeah, totally. So you started with uh, 15, now you're at 100. Talk to the listener of a smaller church who is ready to take their worship ministry to the next level. How should they start recruiting and onboarding people to bring in the next level of excellence? Because obviously there aren't as many people to choose from. Where would you start? Well, you still need an onboarding process, and I think that's the mistake that most small churches make is they don't have any sort of process at all. So I'll tell you my process, but that doesn't mean that yours has to look exactly like this. Just, you know, pull some ideas from it, make it your own. But I start with an application where, you know, I'm asking the important questions like, are they a believer? When did they get saved? You know, things like that. Tell me a little bit about your musical background. And um, that just helps me to get to know them. And then I schedule an audition where they come in uh, during a rehearsal. And if they're trying out for vocals, they'll sing a song with the band. If they're on an instrument, they'll play along with the band. And then I'll let them go home after that and talk to them later. What I'm looking for is not perfection there, but, you know, natural talent. So if I don't see that they could get to where they need to be, then, you know, at that point, I just help them find somewhere else in the church to serve because there's no reason for us both to waste our time there. You know, maybe their mom told them that they're a great singer, but the truth is that they're really not. So, you know, it's time to help them move on so they can actually find the gift that they're 
called to. And then, you know, at that point, if somebody does pass the audition process, I transition them into a 90-day probational period um, where I'm looking for commitment. So I want to see if they're going to show up on time. I want to see if they're going to show up prepared and those sort of things. And I communicate with them within that 90 days if they're not meeting my expectations to give them an opportunity to bring it up to that level. But if after the 90 days they're still not there, then once again, I help them find somewhere else to serve. That's really cool. And I was thinking, you know, there might be some listeners out there going, well, that's that's awesome. I, I can put together a onboarding process, but how do I find out who's a musician in my church? So how do you do that? How did you, you know, initially get the word out that, hey, we're looking for musicians in such a small church? Was it word of mouth or was it like an announcement from the stage? Uh, it was an announcement from the stage. Uh, in the moments that we needed a musician, we just got up and said, hey, we're looking for, to grow the worship team. So if you're interested, you know, see Cade in the back after service and he'll give you an application. Okay, cool. Awesome. So that's what they should do. They should just get up on stage and say, hey, anybody want to uh, audition? They should They should not say, anybody want to join the worship team? Because <laughs> that means there's no onboarding process and the person will assume that they automatically get a spot. But they should say, anybody want to audition to be part of the worship team? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you know, I think one of the temptations in a smaller church is to say, gosh, well, he plays guitar good enough, even though he's hitting bad notes like half the time, but he's the only other guitar player we have. So what would you tell somebody who's like, I'll just take anyone because I don't have anyone? You know, it's better to have an incomplete team than to have a team full of people who may not have the skill level or are causing strife on the worship team or things like that. It's it's a temptation to just let anybody on the team so that you can have eight to 10 people on stage and, you know, have the electric, the acoustic, the bass and the drums and, and all of that that bigger churches have. But it's better to wait for the right people to show up and let them go through the onboarding process than to just throw them up there to have the band. Right, because you could have the band, but it's going to actually sound worse, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, I think... I 100% agree with you. I would rather have just me and an acoustic guitar and have worship going well than have, you know, the whole band and have a just massive, ugly sounding distraction. Like, that's not better. More does not equal better, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I think that that's the trap that many, you know, smaller churches fall into because they see the big churches and go, gosh, I want to I wanna have all that. I need to have that if I'm going to be musically viable. But that's not true. Like an acoustic and a piano can do much better if they're if they're together, like you said, in unity. Yeah. And, you know, to give you an example, at our church, we normally do have a full band. But there was one Sunday where um, I think it was like after New Year's that like half my band, you know, called me the Saturday before and it's like, can't make it. <laughs> I'm like, OK. So, you know, I had to make a decision. And what I did is I just let everybody else have the day off. And me and my wife, because my wife's on the worship team as a vocalist led worship that Sunday. I was on the keys and she sang with me. And after church, you know, the people that were there were just like, that was awesome. You need to do that more often. So, I mean, the congregation actually enjoyed having less. Yeah, no, in many ways, it helps people sing out more. In fact, I've found that some of the huge churches with like the really loud band and everything have less participation from the congregation than the smaller churches that have a small team and it's a more acoustic-y sound and the church can hear themselves sing and they're more apt to participate. So yeah, you're right. You actually have an advantage in many ways. Um, so take heart, you small church worship leaders. It's really um, it's really a, a benefit to you. So how do you, uh, Kate, encourage your team members in excellence? What are some of the things that you do? 
The first thing that I do is be a good leader to them. So before pushing the blame on my team members for something that's going wrong, I examine myself and, you know, am I providing the tools that they need? Am I being a good communicator and things like that? Because it always, problems will always stem from the leader. You know, even if you have somebody bad on your team, it's the leader's fault because the leader let them on the team in the first place (laughs) and they're not dealing with the problem at hand. So the best way to inspire excellent excellence is to be excellent as a leader. Okay. What else? Like, I mean, I know that you're like really heavy on prep and um, just like giving them all the tools they need. So what does that mean? And what does that look like? So um, I use planning center, like a lot of worship leaders do, but you know, I, I go above and beyond whenever I'm adding a song in planning center or scheduling, I make sure, you know, all the rehearsal times are in there. And when I put a song in, I make sure that the MP3 is there and a YouTube video and a a link to the piano tutorial and and all of that. So they don't have to go search for it themselves. Um, that's my way of serving the worship team is to do that for them. No, that's good. And, and you know, you what you just said basically is that you do a lot of work up front. Um, and I, I think some worship leaders listening might say, well, yeah, but you're paid and I'm a volunteer and our church is 60 people and we can't afford planning center. But the principle still applies, right? If the worship leader wants to have an excellent worship ministry, they have to do work, right? Nothing, there's no such thing as like gardening without work. You're not going to grow tomatoes without digging, you know? And same thing is true in worship ministry. Like whether you're in a big church or a small church, if you put in the right kind of work, you're going to have good results, right? You know, you're totally right. And, you know, I think that a majority of the work as a worship leader takes place behind the scenes, not not on stage on Sunday. Yeah. Well, go, go ahead and expound upon that. What do you mean? Well, you know, like I said, I mean, we should be spending time in the week providing the resources our worship team needs, and we should be, you know, Googling ways to to fix the problems at hand. And, you know, we need to be putting in that work. And, um, you know, a lot of times worship leaders will only show up on Sunday and, and that's it. And they don't do any prep work in the week. I'm not saying that you need to, you know, put in 40 hours a week on this stuff, but you do need to dedicate, you know, for me, what I do is every Monday morning is the morning that I plan worship and and do those things that need to be done. And so the worship team knows that, you know, sometime Monday morning, they're going to get that scheduling request from me for the upcoming Sunday. That's that's a strategy that I use that works. A lot of worship leaders will plan several weeks in advance, but I like to take things one week at a time because what I found is the worship team, you know, they they only practice one week at a time anyway. So, but it's still in advance, and it's not. Hey, here's the chord chart Sunday morning. Of course, they're not gonna, you know. And I don't want to bash any churches that are doing that, but you know, you can't expect a very quality experience if you're only getting together with your team. 35 minutes before the service to put four songs together, you know, and they might say, well, yeah, but we're all busy and we're all volunteers. You're right. But, you know, God deserves excellence. And so let's figure out a day. Maybe you practice Sunday after church for the following Sunday. I don't know. Just find some time um, to to bring the excellence that God has called us to bring as leaders in the church. Yeah. You know, here's the deal. We can't use time as an excuse, you know, Almost every human being does that. But, you know, you just got to figure out ways to get more done in less time. And so what that means for me is I expect my worship team to show up to rehearsal with their part already learned on their own time. And so when we when we have rehearsal, you know, it's just putting all the parts together, fixing anything that that's not sounding good together and things like that. So 
because we do that because that expectations there we actually only rehearse usually one time a week and that's on sunday morning before service so i'm not even asking for their time you know in the middle of a week for rehearsal now we do occasionally have a midweek rehearsal but most cases we don't and it's because we found a way to do more in less time yeah and mainly that's because you are putting the work in to give them the parts and the chord charts and the mp3s so that they can show up prepared and so it is about the worship leader really like you said um, being the one to lead this thing and so i want to encourage the worship leaders listening like it's it's on our shoulders like God has called us to grow and build our ministries. One thing that you said, Cade, about um, it's up to the worship leader to Google things on how to fix the problem. Uh, That's something that I really learned and come to really appreciate about you is that you are a perpetual learner. You are constantly researching how to do things better. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that is going to help a worship leader in a small church because a lot of times we just want to throw money at our, our problems, but in small churches, we don't have money to throw at our problems. We need a new soundboard or things aren't sounding great. But you're saying, get on Google, research it, figure out how to do the best with what you have. So do you want to speak into that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, you're right. You can't throw money as a small church. You don't have the money to throw at your problems to try to fix it. And even if you did have the money, you know, throwing it at the problem probably wouldn't fix it because if, if you're not dedicated to learning the basics of the soundboard that you have, when you get a new soundboard, it's just it's going to sound just as bad, if, if not worse. Like if you're going from analog to digital and you have all these new controls available, I can almost guarantee you that it's going to sound worse if you haven't put in the effort to actually learn the basics of what it means to have great sound and how do you get there, like how to set the gain and simple things like that. Most small churches don't understand. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons I started Collaborate Worship. And on Collaborate Worship, you're going to find answers to those questions. You can get on there, figure out how to set the gain and things like that. Basically, everything that I've learned over the past nine years of not willing, I'm not willing to give in to mediocre. And so everything I've learned along that journey, I've put it on Collaborate Worship so that other worship leaders can learn those same things in a whole lot less time. Yeah, Cade has done all the Googling for you, and you can just go to his blog, collaborateworship.com, and you can literally just suck all of his learning from his brain and not have to do any of your own and reap all of the benefits. So thank you, Cade. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about more uh, of the expectations. So you say that you expect your team members to show up um, this is part of holding high standards, right? Uh, you expect them to show up on time with their parts down. What happens if team members aren't meeting those expectations? What do you do? And why? What do you do? And why do you do it? You know, just like Jesus would do, I start with grace. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm probably not gonna do anything if it happens once. Um, but you know, the second, the third time I realize there's a problem there. And so what I'll do is, pull them aside one-on-one. And, you know, that's very important. These aren't things that you want to address in front of the team. So you pull them aside, you know, as discreetly as possible. And you say, hey, um, this is what's going on. You know, I, you know, as well as anybody else on the team that I expect everybody to come prepared. And you can tell that because, you know, everybody else is prepared, but, but you're not. And so we need, we need that to change because when you're not prepared, it wastes the team's time. You know, it wastes your time. So let's figure out what we can do to make sure you can get prepared. Are, are you having problems logging into planning center? Is it not working on your phone? You know, what's going on here? Help me understand and let me know if there's a way that I can help you fix the problem. But it's just it needs to get fixed. And what, what happens after that? I, I give them time, usually somewhere around 90 days to to work this out. 
and I'll communicate with them along the way. You know, uh, if, you know, two Sundays down the line, nothing has changed. And I say, hey, remember that conversation we had, you know, make sure that we're working on this. And if we get to the end of the 90 days, they haven't changed at all. Then I have that hard conversation with them where I let them know that they're no longer part of the worship team, but I will help them find somewhere else in the church to serve because there's lots of great things to do in the church. It's not just the worship team. Right. And can you give us the why behind you're willing to cut a team member, even in a small church when you don't have maybe access to many others? What's the why? Well, because if you leave like the wrong person on the team or somebody who's not dedicated to to excellence, then you infect the entire team. Like, for example, if you let somebody show up late every week, week after week, they show up late. Eventually, you know, I bet you some other people on the team are going to start showing up late because they're like, well, Kay doesn't hold him to this standard. So why should I be held to that standard? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's it's all about protecting the team. Yeah. I heard a Craig Grishel podcast recently where he said that the most loving thing you can do is cut the wrong person off of your team because it's loving for them because they're not a good fit anyway. But it's more importantly, it's loving for the members who are on your team who are giving all their effort and trying to bring their best and they're being dragged down by this one particular team member. Now that's not easy to do, especially in a smaller church where you have to see that person and look them in the eyes probably every single Sunday afterwards. But the thing that I'm hearing from you, Kate, is that if you want to have an excellent ministry in a small church, you have to be a great leader. And Kate, I see that from what I've read online uh, in your blogs, articles, and uh, stuff like that. I see that you are a great leader. You understand what it means to create a culture that is healthy, that is happy, that is godly, and that pursues excellence. And I wanted to maybe just, before we wrap the conversation up, talk to us a little bit more about that culture. How did, what are some of the key elements in creating a healthy team in a small church? I would say, you know, once again, I don't want to want to sound like somebody who keeps repeating themselves, but it, it always falls back on the leader. So th- what we need to do as leaders is first, you know, pay with gratitude. A lot of times we focus on the negative and constantly point out what's not going right. But yet when we hear something that we do like or a team member does something we do like, we never say anything about it. You know, it may make us smile, but I mean, I, I'm guilty of doing that a lot. You know, I'll be, I'll listen to them rehearse the song and I'll hear something the guitar does that I really like and you know, and then just let it go by and never say anything after the song. So we have to be intentional about those moments and say, "Hey, guitar player, you know, I loved it whenever you did this." and be specific about it so they know that you're paying attention to what they're doing. Um, and we also, you know, have to be organized because you know, who doesn't like to be part of something that's well thought out? Like you mentioned earlier, like if the worship leader's showing up on Sunday um, with the chord charts saying, oh, these are the songs that we're going to do, and nobody knows up until that moment, there's a problem there. And that's frustrating to be a part of. And all that stems out of is laziness. So, you know, just put in the work. It doesn't have to be several weeks in advance, but, you know, even just the Monday before, you know, send those songs to them. And for those of you who think that, you know, you can't pick the right songs except the Sunday of because, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak until the Sunday of. Trust me, the Holy Spirit knows the future. So if you want to plan in advance, he'll talk to you at that moment too. And then another thing is you want to respect the time of your team. If you say that rehearsal is going to start at six and it's going to end at seven, you need to start at six and you need to end at seven with no exceptions. Like even if you didn't reach the goals that you wanted to for that rehearsal, you need to end at seven because your team needs to know that you expect their time. And then, of course, you want to listen to your volunteers. You don't want to just bark orders and be the only one that has an opinion because, you know, the volunteers have great ideas, too. So maybe you need to ask them, you know, should we end that song different? Should we transition into the next song different? Or, 
should we do a different song? You know, let, let them share their voice. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of ownership, right, is letting the team members feel like they have a say in the grander scheme of things instead of just being a cog in the wheel. Oh, I'm just here to fill a slot, you know, um, when we say, hey, like, I don't really know how to end that song. Do you guys have any ideas like that? that breeds respect, mutual respect. And it makes them feel like, wow, I have a voice here and I can contribute something. And that ownership leads to a very happy, healthy team. And one of the things that we kind of had talked about earlier, I think maybe before we hit record was just that now you're reaping the benefits of a great team. So like you've spent years building this really high quality team. And now you've got um, a high standard on the stage every Sunday. And so it automatically weeds out people who aren't good enough because they won't even come approach you and say, hey, um, I want to play because they know that they can't play to that level. But it also attracts people who are interested in being a part of something excellent, right? Like attracts like. So if worship leaders have a bad team uh, uh, in these smaller churches and it just doesn't sound good, it's going to attract people who can play poorly, <laughs> right? But if it's if they've got these excellent musicians doing excellent things, it's going to attract more excellence. So I think this is kind of a uh, perpetuating spiral. You know, the the better things get, the better people you'll attract. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it, the hardest part is in the front of this, you know, for that person right now that has a team that's not what they want. You know, maybe they don't sound good, or maybe they're just not getting along with each other or things like that. I, I want to encourage you because I was in that place too. You know, I can remember you know, leading worship and wondering if the team would ever get where I wanted it to be because it just seemed to be moving so slow. And if changes were being made, it didn't seem like they were moving very fast. Um, but here I am nine years later and have exactly the team that I envisioned, you know, nine years ago, whenever I didn't have it. And that's because I kept pressing in and, you know, one change at a time, you know, kept building an excellent team and creating excellent sound and things like that. So, and now it's just, you know, I'm riding on all that hard work I put in up front because you're right, like attracts like. So when people see the excellence that's portrayed every Sunday, the only people who want to be a part of that are people who are also dedicated to excellence because people who aren't dedicated to that, it, it scares them off, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Keep pushing for, for progress. Keep pushing for growth and don't give up. That's what you're telling our listeners. Um, man, okay. One more question and then we'll end with the final question. But um, what do you want to say, if anything at all, in regards to budgets in a small church? Like, how would you encourage them to spend money or ask for money? Just speak into the budget portion of their mind right now. You know, I love new gear just as much as anybody else. But what I want to tell small churches is that you need to take the gear that you have and actually learn how to use it before you go and spend money on new gear. I'm not saying that you don't need new gear, like you may need new speakers or you may need a new mixer. But I want to make sure first that, you know, you know those basics of how to use EQ and gain and, and, and learn all that first, because, you know, getting new gear is not going to fix any of that. And small churches have small budgets. So you just have to invest in things one at a time. Maybe this year all you can get is a new soundboard, but yet you need a new soundboard and new speakers and all kinds of stuff. So you just start one thing at a time and you you build it as you go. It's a journey. You, you can't just expect it all to happen at once and just settle into that, be patient and enjoy the journey. Yeah. And maybe like make a list of what will make the most impact first. So like think about what will make the most impact 
and buy that first and then the next year buy the next impact thing and down the line and all of a sudden you've got an upgraded system in six years and it sounds incredible and also you know if you're going to request money from your pastor or from maybe a, a rich congregant you should have the why you should explain to them why spending $700 is going to make a difference in terms that they care about, not in terms that you care about, but in terms that they care about. Pastor, pastor, if we get you a new microphone or if we get these new speakers, your sermon is going to sound much more clear and easy to understand. <laughs> so you kind of, you got to explain to people why you want to spend the money and and explain it in terms that are in line with the mission of the church, right? Yeah, for sure. Communication 101. Whenever you're asking for something, you want to make sure you point out how it's in their interest, you know, not not your interest. Yeah, awesome. Kate, do you have any last words for our listeners, uh, maybe leaders of smaller churches? I just want to encourage you guys, you know, just because you lead worship at a small church doesn't mean your call is any less significant than somebody who leads worship at a larger church. And I want you to never use the excuse that because I lead worship at a small church, I have to settle for mediocre because it's not true. I want you to dedicate yourself to continual learning and and making the most of the gift that God's put on the inside of you. Don't ever settle. You know, don't ever don't ever be lazy. You know, press in, do the work and and let God work in your life. That's awesome. Cade, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me online at collaborateworship.com and on the site you'll find lots of great resources to help you improve as a worship leader. And there's also a lot of great stuff on there about how to improve the sound at your church. I mean, really practical stuff like how to set the gain, how to use EQ and stuff like that. All you need to know, you don't have to go to Google. You just go to collaborateworship.com. Yeah. <laughs> We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So be sure to connect with Collaborate Worship there. Yeah. And I really want to encourage you guys, check it out. I, I keep getting blown away by the articles he's posting and they are super, super practical and applicable. Like you can take the things in the articles and immediately apply them. So check it out. He also has an awesome online course for the Behringer X32. And so if you have that board in your church, he has probably the best course out there on that. So um, I hope all of our listeners will go check out collaborateworship.com and I will put links in the show notes. So Kate, thanks so much for your time. This has been super encouraging and helpful. Hey, thanks, Alex. I've really enjoyed it. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Feel free to email me at alex at worshipleadertraining.com or just click the link in the show notes. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer in a future episode, you can leave us a voicemail by calling 831-607-WLT1 or just click the phone number in the show notes. And if this episode helped you, please help us by forwarding it on to a friend. You can do that very easily by clicking one of the appropriate links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next month for another episode. In the meantime, feel free to visit worshipleadertraining.com for training materials, resources, and articles for worship leaders. God bless you guys, and I'll see you soon.